Welcome back, students. Let's talk today about Dante's Sphere of Heaven, Jupiter. Cantos 18 through 20, the sixth sphere moving on from Mars. Briefly, just looking back at Mars, though, we're not going to spend any time talking about these characters, but in Mars, I didn't have a chance to talk about the exemplary holy warriors, but they are Joshua, Roland or Orlando, Judas Maccabeus, Charles the Great, William Renoardo, Godfrey of Boulogne, and Robert Giscard. Something interesting about Orlando or Roland, he was an epic hero from, um, I believe it was an Irish epic called The Song of Roland, and he was supposedly a nephew of the great Charlemagne. The reason he dies is that he has a horn that will summon any person to him to his aid should he not have the pride to not use it. And so what happens is that had he used his horn and summoned his great uncle to his aid, he would have survived, but because of his pride, he died instead. And so you don't need to write all this down. I just thought that I would be remiss if I did not mention this to you. You can definitely look in Cantos 17 and 18 and find these characters. All right, all right, all right. Let's move up now to Jupiter. Lines are Canto 18, lines 52 to 72. Again, Dante turns from whom he's speaking to looks at Beatrice. She is, of course, now even more beautiful than she was, and he has ascended to Jupiter, the so-called temperate star. Let's enter Jupiter together. And as the change which happens, when a woman recovers her paleness, throwing off an embarrassment, which has tinged her face with blushes. So how do you go from blushing to being, again, pale? I think that's very interesting. That so was the change then for my eyes when I turned, because of the whiteness of the temperate star, the sixth, which had received me into itself. I saw the sparkling light of Jupiter, the radiance of the love that was there, signaling to my eyes in our language. Signaling to my eyes in our language. What language that is? Very interesting to think. So let's talk about who's here. Here's our first informational slide. This is sphere six of ten in heaven, moving on from 5, Mars, and moving towards 7, Saturn. In fact, there will be a mention of the fact that Jupiter is sort of between his sun, or is not sort of, is between his sun, Mars, of course, Aries is the son of Jupiter or Zeus, and uh, beneath his father, Saturn, Saturn is Kronos, Kronos was the father of Jupiter who was supplanted by Jupiter. Who are the occupants here in this sphere? They are just rulers. Not all of them were kings, though. That's why we call them rulers. Many of them were kings. Some of them were judges as well. The liberal art here is geometry, the art by which we measure the world. As I told you earlier, literally the word geos in Greek from Gaia means earth. Metros means to measure. Measuring of the earth is what geometry does, and that seems to be what a king does, sets the boundaries and then upholds the boundaries. That seems also to be what a judge does. And very interestingly, we do split this function in our government. As you know, we have a tripartite gov government. Legislative branch makes the laws. Judicial branch upholds the laws. And executive branch acts as figurehead for the laws. Also has some measure of executive control as well. So we have judges on the one hand. We have leaders, not kings, but similar to in some ways on the other. Those who make the laws, those who uphold the laws, and those who are symbols of the laws. The theme here seems to be unifying disparate persons, that means very different sorts of people, 
into one unified people, the opposite of the Tower of Babel story. As we recall, learning that all the way back in Sphere 8, or excuse me, Circle 8 of the Inferno, Tower of Babel was the idea that you bring a bunch of people together, they attempt some great deed that is beyond themselves, and they fall apart. They re-diversify. They go from a unity to a diversity. They speak many languages after speaking one language. But what a king seems to do is the opposite. Or what a just ruler seems to do. It's to bring people together as one. To be sort of a cornerstone that draws people in. Like Bruce Lee in the 70s, drawing people into the martial arts and Jeet Kune Do. And do martial arts exist in our culture now? Absolutely. Probably your little sister does some Taekwondo or something like that. And that's because of, not simply because of a figure like Bruce Lee, but he did help to popularize martial arts in the West through his so-called Kung Fu movies, though of course he was a Jeet Kune Do practitioner, not a Kung Fu practitioner, uh, though he did study it when he was younger. Now the shape of Jupiter. As we know, circles four, five, six, seven all have a specific shape. We can see these because our eyes are clearing up. We no longer have the conical sh shadow of the Earth obscuring our sight. The first image we saw in the sun was two circles interlocking with potentially something on the horizon, perhaps a third one, over or excuse me, encompassing both. Then we saw a holy cross in the fifth sphere of Mars, red, with a figure of Jesus in the middle. Well, now we see a giant eagle, and very interestingly, rather than having particular figures jump off from the symbol and come talk to us specifically, and this is highly symbolic, the eagle will speak with one voice alone, almost as if every ruler shares the same voice, almost as if what makes any ruler great is what makes every ruler great, and they are all now not simply of one voice, but of one what? Mind as well. Very good. Very good. And that is why rulers in the past, kings, were supposed to speak with we rather than I. Because for whom did they speak? Themselves personally or for their what? Their people. Very good. Very good. And that is part of the symbolic idea of a king. That is also why they wear a golden crown. Golden and on their head because it is the divine. Uh, gold is the divine uh, metal because it is the most precious metal. Circle is the most divine object because it is a perfect object in that all points along the edge of a circle, along its circumference, are equidistant from the center. That's the idea of a king, too. Which people are most important to a king? Answer is, of course, all people. All the people are important to a king, at least in theory. At least in theory. So, the metaphor here. All rulers speak with one voice, just as all rulers speak for one people. That is why kings refer to themselves as we. And the main speaker, as I said, will be the eagle, and thus the collective wisdom of all rulers. Apparently they all agree with what will be said by this eagle, so we should what to what they have to say? Listen. Definitely listen. That's right. All right. The souls of Jupiter, and I want you to take a look at these three images next to each other. We have this one sort of eagle with these letters, D-I-L, next to it. Then we have this sort of M-looking thing that sort of looks like a face, that then looks like an eagle. And then we have an eagle with an eye with a, about five soul-looking things around the crest of the eye. should be around the eyebrow, technically. The souls of Jupiter, once we ascend, go through a series of transformations. So they don't start as an eagle. First, 
they form letters. And they form the letters while they sing. They sing while they're forming it, and then they stop singing while the letter is formed so we can take a second to read it. Which is a prefiguration of what we'll see in Saturn where we will not hear the singing because the singing is so beautiful that it would make us explode if we were to hear it. Which kind of makes me want to hear it, frankly speaking. It's like a song that's so beautiful that it would make me explode. I did listen to a song last night that I thought was so beautiful that it did bring a tear to my eyes. And I do think when we enter Saturn, I will play it for you. It is the interstellar main theme. I do not know if you've heard it before. You will definitely hear it in the next couple days. It's very beautiful. I don't think I'll record it for copyright purposes. Anyway, the, soul, the souls first form letters. And this, again, is a metaphor for parts making up a whole. Because think about letters in a word. Deligitate, or cherish, or love. Are there many different letters in these words? Do they sound different? Do they look different? But together, do they form one coherent whole? Yes? Yes, just like the notes of music in a song or in a harmony. Right. And so what is the word? Or what is the phrase that they form? Well, they form 35 letters in this Latin phrase that you will see several times, which is deligite justitiam qui judicatis terram, which means cherish justice, you who would judge the earth, or love justice, you who would judge the earth. So if you want to judge things, you should love justice. That's the best way to judge. We can think about exactly what that means. You notice in this phrase, the very last letter that they form is an M. Well, the souls then hold on that M for some amount of time. The reason why, well, there are two reasons why. M is the first letter of monarch. Monos arcos, which means soul ruler. A monarch is a king, but also an M. And I'm going to show you a quick little funny picture. It's supposed to look like sort of a human face. If you look at this skull here, and you look at the round of the eyes, it's very easy to make an M. And if you have an M and you put two O's under it, it sort of looks like a human face. You have the ridges of the face on the outside, lines of the M, and then you have the nose on the middle one. Something interesting about that. The medieval word for man was homo. You see here the two eyes, and the M of the face form the word homo, man. So it's almost like the idea of monarchy or king is the same idea as man. Or that the idea of a king or a just ruler developed with the idea of man. And I'll tell you something very, very weird and funny. Literally just yesterday, I saw a theory published in a local, not a local periodical, in a national periodical that suggests that humans tamed themselves that they killed off all the most dominant, violent alpha males in order to cultivate themselves. Which is very interesting, because what makes a good king? Being barbaric and violent and savage, or being judicious and wise and catering to one's people? And so it seems to be the idea that we learned that simply being bullies to each other is not the most effective way to bring people together and to keep them together. Very interesting. There's even some evidence that that's true of chimpanzees as well. The most dominant chimpanzees are not always the best chimpanzee rulers. Even in the animal kingdom, that seems to be true. Very interesting here. Very interesting here. All right. From that last M, it then sort of sprouts a crest or a head and then develops itself into an eagle. You can see this figure one, figure two, figure three transition 
between it until what we have in front of us is the great eagle of Jupiter. Recall that eagle, an eagle is the symbol of Jupiter. In fact, before Zeus was Zeus with an eagle that he could ride or send down, for instance, to take Ganymede up to heaven, he was known to be an eagle. Um, many of the Greek gods were originally animals. Athena was known to be an owl. Apollo was thought to be a rat. Hera was thought to be um, uh, a female ox. An ox is, I think, a castrated bull anyway, so a cow. She was a cow. That's why she's called oxide in the Iliad. Also, ox, ox, oxen have very big, beautiful eyes, supposedly. Um, in any case, the eagle is also the symbol of Rome. And I want you to think about why the eagle is a good symbol of a king or of an empire. A, it can fly very high, and thus it has a higher what? Perspective. It can see more, right? It's also a bird of prey, which means can it defend itself? Yes, it's very strong. In fact, a weird thing the medieval people thought about eagles is that they could stare straight into the light of the sun without being blinded. Very interestingly, we will see Dante look at a soul that is so bright that it is like the sun, and he will be blinded at the very end of Canto 25. I believe it's Canto 25 lines 127 to 135. I mentioned that later in the lecture. And, of course, our country, America, has an eagle as its sign. And you might say, but Mr. Schmidt, it's a very specific sort of eagle. Which sort? A bald eagle. Do you now understand why it is a bald eagle? Because a bald eagle doesn't have a what? It doesn't have a crest. It doesn't have a what? It doesn't have a crown. Because what does America not have? A king. Because in a democracy, who is the king? All people. The unified voice of the people is the king. That's right. That's right. Uh, there's a very beautiful quote by an old uh, poet, Rumi. And I think you should keep this in mind, especially since you live in a democracy. You're not just a drop of water in the ocean. You're the entire ocean in a drop. And that is certainly what we believe in a democracy. Yes, yes, yes. So though justice is represented in different ways, the take-home message is the same. Whether I say this in words, show this to you in images, play you a song, I'm saying the same thing here. All right, so a little bit of info. Beatrice becomes more lovely again. This might all just be review at this point. The star changes from red to white, recovers from its blush, line 64 to 69. The soul is formed into the letters D-I-L-I-G-I-T-E. And so on and so on. Deligate justitiam qui judicatis teram. They sing as they form, but they stay quiet as they embody the letters. After they form the 35 letters, they sit on the M. For monarchy or man, a monarch is thus one of the ultimate ideas of man. And uh, just something to give evidence for this, uh, Dante wrote only three other works in his life besides the Divine Comedy. He, he meant to write, I think, 14. One of them is called On the Vulgar Languages, On the Common Languages. He, of course, wrote in a common language, not in Latin, not in high church Latin, perhaps as an argument against the church and its practices at that time, and essentially founded the Italian dialect that is known today. It was Tuscan at that time. He wrote a work also called La Vita Nova, where he talks a bit about Beatrice and lays out his personal life philosophy, which he later converts into the poem, which is the Divine Comedy. But he also writes on monarchy. He writes about kings. He believes in kings. He thinks kings are the most divine thing on earth. 
because kings are supposed to be a symbol for God. How? Well, they are supposed to be perfectly just and protect their people so long as people obey the rules, which sounds very much like a human on earth acting like Zeus or Jupiter or a god of justice. That seems to be the idea. Of course, as we know with Dante and his ideas about institutions and how humans become corrupt and how they corrupt those institutions, do you think many kings measure up to this idea? The answer is, of course, no. And he's going to give us plenty of examples. In fact, he's really going to pick on Charles II of Anjou, who he always is picking on, and this guy Frederick II as well. He's going to say the Norman William II is actually very good. He was renowned for equal acts of piety, that means faith, and justice, fairness. Good, 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 good. All right, let's keep moving. We see this. Dante believed that the letter M also resembled a human face. We can see these examples here, meaning that to understand monarchy or kings, one must first understand man. Very interesting. Very interesting. I was recently in an airport with my lady friend, and it was funny because you know when you're in an airport, they often say, do not accept items from people you do not know. And I, of course, being philosophical in temperament, turned to my friend and said, but what if I don't even know myself? I thought that was very Socratic. She, to this day, laughs at me for that. Yes, that's sort of funny. If I don't know myself, can I accept things from myself? A very interesting question to put to oneself. All right, so the symbol then morphs into an eagle from the letter M, as we talked about. The eagle is, as I told you, the symbol of Zeus from the Greek mythology, Jupiter from the Roman mythology. I'll show you a picture of that soon. It's also the symbol of Rome, the imperial eagle, so-called. In fact, we're called that Justinian in the sphere of Mercury describes the flight of the imperial eagle, the expansion of Rome. In fact, when we are a mythological people in thousands or tens of thousands of years, probably people will talk about our great western expansion as the flight of an eagle. And in fact, we do have territories abroad as well, so perhaps people will make similar claims about us as they do about Rome. As I told you, it is also the symbol of the United States, the eagle, but it is the bald eagle, indicating that it has no crest nor crown, because we have no crest nor crown. Do you like that the image of your people is so brilliant? Did you ever think about the fact that it's bald for good reason? Did you ever... I, right? I mean, it's like, you're like, it's bald. Why do we want it to be bald? It's like, because we don't have a king. That's right. And that's something you should be proud of, because you have never had a king. And so long as we do things right, you never will. Good. The eagle represents, as I told you, not only higher perspective, because it gets high into the air, has a wide territory, can fly about it and defend it, but also acuity of vision. Something we know, that Dante did not necessarily know, is that the best vision on the planet in the air and on the ground comes from birds of prey. They can see exceedingly well. Something like, I think something like a peregrine falcon at the top of the Empire State Building, this might just be lore, but I think it's true. If there were a penny on the ground below it, it could see the face of Abraham Lincoln on it. And supposedly we have very good eyes because we had to compete with the snakes. Um, and so we had to learn how to see their patterns slithering about because we did not want them to eat us or our babies. We as mammals, we have, I think, the second best eyes to birds of prey. So when we want to represent a position that requires perceptiveness or acuity of vision or needing to see things for as they actually are, we symbolize that with a bird of prey. 
or an eagle. Good, 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 good. Here's a beautiful picture, I think. I'm going to have you analyze this picture soon enough. But that's Jupiter on top of his eagle. One interesting thing I just want to draw your attention to is that if you look very closely, you can see the progress of the image of God throughout time. The original images of the gods, as you know, were animals. They then, in the Egyptian religion, were half animal, half what? Half human. In the Greek religion, the animal split from the human. And then you would have, say, a human-looking Jupiter and his eagle that he could send. In the Christian religion, the idea split from the human, and then you get the image of the Trinity, which is a geometric shape, which means it represents thought. And so you see here, as a culture becomes more sophisticated, so does their representation of the divine. Because you have not only eagle on bottom, foundational, then you have man on top of eagle, but then what do you have behind that? You have something like the sun. You have a circle that illuminates with light, sort of like a what? The mind. Very interesting. Very interesting. This is a very sophisticated image right here. Very, very... Very, very smart. You would never see that unless you were really looking for it. Hmm. All right, more images I think are very pretty. This is an odd primitivist idea. The idea there is, of course, that many people make up one body, the body of the people, the corpus, so-called. Another very pretty picture of the souls here becoming the eagle. Which one do y'all prefer, right or left? Right, of course. The left one looks kind of creepy. All right, and then so let's go through, let's go through. The bird says, I and mine, but as a unity of many, we know what it really means is we and ours. It says I, but is it just one thing or is it many things? Trick question. It's many things together that form one. The eagle speaks, as I've said now a couple times, with one voice for the people, though many persons, like a king, and the king is thus a symbol himself of his people. That is why, of course, what sorts of people do we put on money? We put presidents, right? The people who preside. Is the president the symbol of our people while the person is the president? Yes, of course. In fact, did we just have a couple days off because of President's Day? And if you were to look at ancient currencies, you would find what sorts of figures on their money, especially in Rome. Bless you. You would find the kings. That's right. Which means they are the figure heads of the people. Figurehead, of course, in the Al, you know, means symbol of the people. Good. All the kings and rulers are there because they were either A, just, fair, and B, merciful. An old idea is that the great art of ruling is to know whether to use the, the right hand of justice or the left hand of mercy. Ah, yes, sir. You asked me why we use the right hand, and you seem to recall my reason from last year. I said tradition, but the real reason that we have that tradition is that traditionally, which arm did you use to stab people with? The right. That's right. And so if you're shaking someone's hand, what are you not doing with the right hand? Stabbing them with a sword. That's right. The left hand is supposed to be the shield arm, the buckler arm. Your right arm is the stabbing arm. In fact, we still obviously believe this. Look at those desks back there. Made for right-handers, made for left-handers. This one. Made for righties. In fact, look at cars. Made for righties or made for lefties? 
made for righties. You do all your movement, moving. If you drive a stick, probably none of you do. You have to move the stick with your right arm. You also, what do you, which foot do you use for the pedals? Right or left? Right, unless you have a stick, in which case you have to use the left on the clutch. Any of you know how to drive a stick? It's very fun. I highly recommend you learn just for fun, not to have to do it. It's also useful if you find yourself in a different country and need to rent a car. A lot of them still use sticks. It's very fun. In any case, Dante asks, here's our first question. Is the divine justice mirrored in other realms like earth? Okay, that's a big question. Does justice exist anywhere but in heaven? Is there justice on earth? We already know probably the idea is going to be no. And so we get this quote, and we're probably going to have to end with this today, unfortunately. He who drew with compasses the boundaries of the world, and within it ordered so much both hidden and manifest. A couple things. Geometric language immediately. Drew with compasses. Recall what a compass is. It's that weird little uh, math object you have that has a little pointed end, and you use it to draw circles, right? You put the little pointed end in your paper, you have a pencil attached to it, and then since you have a fixed point, can rotate about it. Hmm, very interesting, very interesting. Form the boundaries of the world within it, ordered so much, both hidden and manifest. Well, there's the answer right there. It means, yes, there is justice in the world, but can we see it all? No, and I sort of prefigured this for you yesterday by saying, well, the problem is we can see space pretty well around us, but can we see time? In particular, can we see the future? No. And so, if we exist within time, and things happen over time, do we know in any specific moment what is going to happen, or do we even know what has happened without knowing what future events will come from it? No, and that's why we generally say you don't want to repeat errors, you don't want to do terrible, sinful things. All right, we're going to keep this going tomorrow.